tonight's scripture reading will be from Titus, um, Titus 3, 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Amen. Well, just a few weeks ago, we had a series here at Connection Church about the cardinal traits of a disciple. We learned over the course of four weeks that a disciple is a follower of Jesus who worships, prays, and is sent into the world. Now, tonight, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the process of becoming a disciple, which we refer to as discipleship. The word discipleship is never mentioned in the Bible. Um, it's a word that Christians have developed over the course of the church to describe this process by which one actually becomes a disciple, someone who is a follower of Jesus, who worships, prays, and is sent. Um, in the New Testament, the word disciple is synonymous with the word Christian. In fact, the very first time that people were ever called Christians in Acts chapter 11, the Bible says that the first disciples were called Christians in Antioch. <clears throat> so, when you think of the word disciple and you think of the word Christian, you shouldn't separate them as if there are some people who are Christians and then there are other people who are disciples right? Those really devout Christians, maybe. Because that's not the case in the Bible. In the Bible, if you were a Christian, it was assumed that you were a follower of Christ who worships, who prays, and who is sent. So, to claim the title of Christian, you are claiming for yourself the distinction of being a disciple. Now, if you've never been through a specific program or had someone who has specifically poured into you to teach you how to be a disciple, this may be a, a problem since you just learned that you're supposed to be a disciple if you're a Christian. But don't fear. Chances are you know a lot about discipleship already. It may, not just have just, it may just have not been presented to you in this type of format. But as we jump in here, I want to uh, break down Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 8 that Renata just read and see some key distinctions about discipleship. 
The very first one is, you know, when you came in, you were given um, a worship folder, or you, hopefully you took one. You can write notes on the back of that or type them into your phone if you'd like. Um, the very first point, though, tonight is that discipleship is transformative. Discipleship is transformative. That's point number one. As Paul describes the life of, disi- of, a, of a disciple, he does so by contrasting it against a former person. Did you notice that? He does it here, and he does it in other places. The reason he does it is to reinforce the concept that Jesus taught to Nicodemus. Have you ever heard the story of Nicodemus? It was late one night, and Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus under the cloak of darkness so that he wouldn't be found out by the other Pharisees. And he asked him about these teachings What is it that you're telling people about being born again? I don't understand. How can a man enter back into his mother's womb and become a baby again? And Jesus teaches him about this process. In the church, we call it regeneration or rebirth, by which a grown adult human has a rebirth. They become a new person. They are given new life in Christ. And Paul talks a lot about that in ways of behavior. So listen again um, to the first three verses and think about this contrast here of these two different people that he talks about. He says, remind them. The them is the Christians in the church, right? Titus is a young pastor. Paul, as an older pastor, is writing to him, teaching him how to speak to the church. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, In other places, Paul talks very clearly about the government that we have over us. And he says that one of the marks of distinction in a Christian is that they trust the sovereignty of God who has placed our rulers and authorities over us. That we submit ourselves to the governing authorities around us. Now, there are certain times when governments are enacting grave injustices throughout history that Christians have stood and against the government, and that is completely justified. But insofar as we relate to our government, we are to first understand that God has allowed them to be there in the first place. So he says, remind them to be submissive to the authorities and the, uh, and the rulers. Remind them to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy to all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days with malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Does that sound like middle school to anyone else? especially that last line, hated by others and hating one another. There's a stark contrast, right, between the person described in verses 1 and 2 and the person described in, verses, in verse 3. And what Paul's doing here is teaching Titus to remind the church that discipleship, this journey that I mentioned before that we're going on, is to be transformative, You are supposed to look differently after you become a disciple and throughout your journey through discipleship than you did before. 
Before, you may have spoken evil of someone. Before, you may have been quick to quarrel, whether it was road rage like the man that just honked outside, or it was in the workplace with your boss, or at home with your spouse, or your children, or your roommate. You may have been quick to quarrel. Before, you may have been a slave to various passions or pleasures. Maybe you would have passed your day with malice or envy. Have you ever passed a day with malice or envy? That just means you spent an entire day and all that went on in your mind and your heart were envious thoughts and negative thoughts and behavior toward others. When you get to the end of a day like that, how do you feel? (laughs) Before, you may have also hated others. You may have been hated by others. But Paul says, through discipleship, on this journey from death to life, we should see these traits falling away. Now, this entire sermon I want us to see over the course of our lifetimes. Um, Jesus never spoke in terms that implied someone is the person in verse 3 and overnight they become the person in verses 1 and 2. That's not how he talked about the life of a Christian. In fact, he spoke of it in various terms that lead us to believe otherwise. One of them that's very clear is agricultural terms. He talked about a seed being planted. And then over time, the seed is watered and then the seed begins to grow. The seed becomes strong and it can withstand the waves and the wind that's tossed about. And then eventually, the the plant becomes so mature that it, it even develops fruit of its own. And the fruit falls down and those seeds are planted. So this process of discipleship is not something that happens overnight. It is not to say that because you call yourself a Christian or have become a disciple or a follower of Christ, that all of a sudden you are never ruled by a passion again. You never pass a day with envy and you're never disobedient or led astray. But it does mean that you are being transformed. That this life that is being pumped into you by the power of the Holy Spirit is being seen in the evidence of those traits falling away. You encounter someone on the subway whom you normally would be quarrelsome with and you notice that the peace of Christ has given you the unique strength to have compassion on that person instead of be quarrelsome toward them. That is discipleship in action. You're in a fight with a loved one or someone you're in a relationship with And you realize in the middle of that fight, like I do often, that you're wrong and they are right. And instead of trying to continue to prove that you're right, even though you've realized you're wrong, you lay down your pride and you don't sarcastically give up the fight, but you genuinely admit you were wrong, apologize, and are free from the guilt and shame of living had you continued that fight. These little things that happen throughout your life where you see transformation happen, this is discipleship in action. And it happens over time.
So number one, discipleship is transformative. You should see, you should continually see a difference from the person in verse three, whom we can all relate to, to the person described in verses one and two. But secondly, discipleship happens in everyday life. This is something that's exciting because discipleship doesn't only happen at church. Listen to these. Book learning that happens at school, right? You have a place for that in your head. Work, where does that happen? At the office or the factory, right? Or at the home office. Partying, where does that happen? Out, right? At a restaurant or a bar, or at your friend's house when they're hosting a party. Where does sport happen? In a stadium, right? Or an arena. We have these very clear distinctions where things happen in our life. And I think it is because of these practical ways that we divide or partition off our lives that we sometimes begin to think and live like discipleship and any form of spiritual development only happens inside this church building. But that is not true. Sport happens in the arena, and book learning happens at school. Partying happens at a restaurant or a party venue. But spiritual development, discipleship, happens in everyday life. A common phrase I'm hearing a lot these days among pastors to describe this is it happens in the regular rhythms of everyday life. What that means is those scenarios I just described, whether you're driving in the car or you're having an argument with someone whom you're friends with or you're on the subway, these things that you're going through on a regular basis, during those moments, you should be praying for and seeing transformation because discipleship doesn't only happen inside the church building. If you and I are looking to the sermon and the songs preached and sung from this stage every Sunday at 5 p.m. to disciple you, you will not live up to the disciple that Christ has called you to be. You cannot do it. If you only rely on these sermons and these songs from this stage and a connect group that you go to every single week, it will not happen. Discipleship has to happen over the course of your life. That's the only way you'll see true transformation. It's important for us to realize that the gospel is not simply a message for salvation. The good news certainly is that we were once dead in our trespasses, headed for eternal hell, and now we have been saved from that, and we are spending eternity as heirs to the kingdom of God with Christ. That is true. We have been saved. There has been salvation. Additionally, though, The gospel is also the good news that has great consequence for our everyday lives. Remember verses 1 and 2. Think about if these things only were true of you while you were inside the church building. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Certainly, this would be the most perfect church ever if those things were true of each of us every time we were in this building. But we would not be a witness to our neighbor. We would not love our enemy. 
we would not draw any skeptic into curiosity about the gospel we claim as disciples if we practice these things only inside the church. So we, church, have to be people who are being discipled and transformed in everyday life so that those around us are seeing a transformation. They notice this person who does not repay evil with evil, but good for good. They're not instructions for our time at church. They're not instructions for our time in eternity. They are practical ways that the gospel transforms our daily lives. Thirdly, discipleship is a result of Christ's work. Discipleship is transformative. It happens in everyday life, and it is a result of Christ's work. Because of the tutelage of some of our ladies here at Connection Church, I'm becoming quite the fan and follower of the Broadway musical Hamilton. In just a couple of weeks, Lynn Manuel Miranda, the writer, director, and star of the hit musical, will hit the red carpet at the Tonys, where he is being nominated, he and the musical are being nominated for a record 16 awards. 16 awards, more than any other Broadway play or musical has ever been nominated for. He will most certainly be rewarded, almost certainly be rewarded in many of those categories that he's nominated for, that he put hard work into creating this musical that has swept not only our city, but the acclaim of theater lovers worldwide. And rightfully so, right? We as a people are generally very good at giving credit to those who have accomplished great things. So it's no surprise then that we also usually look for credit ourselves when we have big accomplishments. We want people to recognize our hard work, our devotion. We want them to do it publicly if possible, right? And there's certainly nothing wrong with praising people for the accomplishments they have. However, as Christians, we are taught by the example of Christ that we should not crave and desire the praise of our fellow man, but instead look to him for value and affirmation. We should not crave and desire the affirmation of man, but look to God for our affirmation, to Christ for our identity. Paul reminds Titus here that as he teaches Christians about following Jesus, it is paramount that we remember that our righteousness is not as a result of our own good works, but it is a result of God's. Listen uh, through verses, verses four through seven. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Discipleship happens because of Christ's righteousness. 
This gives you and I freedom to live unbound from laws and oppressive authorities. Because of the goodness and loving kindness of Christ described here, we have been shown that the best way to be human and have the best way to be human and have been we have been giving the washing and renewing power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live abundant lives free from those passions and pleasures that once enslaved us free from the desire to win an argument free from the quarrelsome spirit that dwells so richly in some of us the process of discipleship is not about trying harder to do better and accomplish more in order to receive empty, fleeting praise from men. That is not what discipleship is. Discipleship is about trusting the work that Christ has done. Believing that he has chosen you to be a recipient of his grace and being free to live for the benefit of others instead of the glory of yourself. Lynn manuel Miranda will be excited when he wins his Tony or Tonys or 15. It'll bring him fulfillment and joy as it should. I hope it does. No doubt he will be praised by many for his accomplishments, but the award will lose its shine. The praise will be passed to next year's winner in just 365 days. He worked hard for the praise he will receive, and there's nothing wrong with humbly and graciously accepting that. But when it comes to discipleship, we must remember who has done the hard work on our behalf. When we see fellow Christians who are struggling with something that we have victory over, when we notice that our lives are becoming more holy, our concern for others is increasing. When we are gentle and are ready for every good work, we must remember that it is only as a result of the work of Jesus Christ that these things have come about. And we are to give him the praise and worship that he is due. Accomplishing things in discipleship is different from accomplishing things and acclaim here on earth. We must see the difference between winning a Tony for your hard work and receiving that praise graciously and humbly and the difference of becoming more gentle, having more compassion on others. And we must know who deserves the credit, who did the work. And I hope that we will begin to see more that discipleship is a result of Christ's work, not ours. So this letter that Paul wrote to Titus was for a very specific purpose. As I mentioned earlier, he was using this as sort of a training manual for early leaders of the local church. And because discipleship happens, thankfully discipleship happens, inside the safety of these communities, the community of the church, 
we have a simple way here for everyone connected to be a part of discipleship. This is almost brand new at Connection Church. And we're trying to find ways that we can help each other become more like Christ, to be transformed in our everyday lives while we remember that this is the result of Christ's work. And here are three questions that we're hoping we will begin to ask one another. The first is this. How are you feeding your heart with the gospel? Now, this is a foreign question to many, and it's difficult to learn how to answer it. But in one very simple way, in, in, in one very simple illustration, I hope to give you an idea of how to do it. It's like this. Imagine if you had just received these Tonys, right? And you are puffed up. It might be, not be difficult for Miranda to be puffed up, but it's, it would be difficult for me. I would be puffed up with conceit. My head would get big. My wife would have to widen the doorframe of our house because I just became the most Tony decorated writer, director, performer of all time. Okay? That's a big deal. If you, as a fellow family member of mine, asked me, Larry, this week, on the tail end of this Tony-winning Sunday, how are you feeding your heart with the gospel? Something that would probably need to come out of my mouth is, I am being reminded that I am not worthy of the praise that I'm getting for these things. But God has placed me. He has given me these gifts and these abilities to write these lyrics that relate so well with people. He has given me the gifts. And he has asked me to use them for his glory. So I'm feeding my heart with the gospel by reminding myself that I did not do this. I'm feeding my heart with the gospel by reminding myself that it is for Christ's glory and for Christ's proclaim that I have been given these awards. And I hope to be such an example to the many people in this arena that I have been given so that they may see the humility and the grace of Christ in that. How are you feeding your heart with the gospel means how are you attacking your sin with Jesus? The sins and the temptations that are inside your heart, the temptation in that scenario for me to be conceited and puffed up with arrogance. What does the gospel say about arrogance? If you're struggling with anger that week, how does Jesus teach you to not be angry at your coworkers or your spouse or the random person on the subway? So when you're asked, how are you feeding your heart with the gospel? Just think of the ways that you have failed or are failing or are tempted to fail and then say how the gospel saves you from that. The second question is this. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Remember, discipleship is transformation that happens in everyday life. So in everyday life, these things should be on display to those around you. And if you begin to pray for people specifically who you are close to, that you should be sharing the gospel with, it will begin to do a few things in your heart. First of all, it will give you more compassion for them. It will also give you accountability. Someone who you know is going to ask you, hey, who are you, sharing your, with, who are you sharing the gospel with this week or over the last few days or over the last month? And we hope that you will begin to have people that come to your mind. I am sharing the gospel with this person. I'm, I'm sharing the life that God has given me with this person, with this person. Start with one. 
begin praying for that person and then taking advantage of the opportunities. When they begin complaining about work or complaining about their family, um, when they begin to get puffed up with anger, you feed their heart with the gospel. That is how you share the gospel with others. And the third and final question as we close is, how can I pray for you? This one's very simple. How can I pray for you? Now you might have an aunt that has cancer who needs to be prayed for, and you should definitely ask for people to pray for you about that. But specifically, let people in. Inside our church family, let people in. You've already told them how the gospel is feeding your heart. Maybe how they need to pray for you is related to that because maybe the gospel has not been feeding your heart. (laughs) Maybe you've just been giving in to anger every single time or maybe you have been puffed up with conceit and you didn't think about the gospel until they asked you that question. So one way they can pray for you is that you would feed your heart with the gospel. These are three practical ways that we want to encourage you to begin discipling each other the elders and the staff and some other leaders at Connection Church have begun to ask these questions to one another, to try them out. And we're challenging you now to, this week, ask someone in the church these three questions. You can do it in everyday life. You don't have to be at the church. Remember, spiritual development doesn't only happen inside these walls. You can do it at dinner with them. You can do it at their house. You can do it on the subway. You can do it over text message. You can do it over the phone. But begin to take on the responsibility of this community, discipling one another, so that we can see transformation happen. Not overnight, but across our journey that is our spiritual life of discipleship. These questions reinforce the three points of the sermon in these ways. Listen, number one, the first question, how are you feeding your heart with the gospel? reminds us that we are to be transformed by the gospel, point number one. It is something that brings life to us. Number two reminds us that this transformation happens in everyday life around the people closest to us. And number three, how can I pray for you, reminds us that we do not have the power to coerce or control this transformation that's going on inside of us. We are in a We are in constant need of the gospel. And a proper vision of our life in the kingdom of God is needed in order for us to remain humble and moldable. So, church, remember that discipleship is a journey. You are on that journey. We may all be in different places across the spectrum, but we are called to be in this together, to be transformed through our everyday lives as a result of the work of Christ. And we have a responsibility to one another to help carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters sitting next to us and in front and behind us right now. And I pray that we would see the beauty of Christ and his transformation so much that we are burdened and have empathy and compassion for our fellow brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the challenge, the charge to be disciples and to make disciples. Thank you for giving us the desire to follow you, to worship you, to pray and to be sent by you like we learned a few months ago. And now, as we 
continue on this process of discipleship. Give us these landmarks, these roadmarks along our journey where we will see our lives be transformed, where we become the person in verses 1 and 2 of Titus 3, where we used to be the person in verse 3. And I pray that when we see that transformation, it would not just affect us on Sundays at 5, but it would affect us every day in the regular rhythms of our lives. We praise you. We give you the glory, Lord, for going before us and for showing us the way. We rely on you now. In Jesus' name, amen.